0: Greetings. Welcome to you all. My name is Joshua Thomas. Uh, I earned an MTS at HDS in 2002, uh, and I'm pleased to be this year's chairperson of the HDS Alumni 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 Council. Tonight, we hold the first of three installments of Divinity Dialogues for the 2015-16 academic year. Divinity Dialogues is a series that the council began in 2012 to showcase the fascinating and diverse stories of our alumni. We've been treated now to nine powerful installments of this series thus far, many here on campus, as well as in New York City, Washington, D.C., and San Francisco. A couple hundred alumni joined each program live online as well, so a special welcome to them. We're glad that you all could join us. We're also live-tweeting this conversation via the handle at HGS News, at hashtag DivDialogues. We encourage all our social media followers to post their comments and questions as well, and we will do our best to field uh, at least one, maybe two if we can, towards the end. This is a forum for open, honest, critical, respectful dialogue, the type that is a, a hallmark of HDS. Tonight's program promises to be one of our most powerful yet. We are delighted to have with us the Reverend Liz Walker, MDiv05 who is pastor of Roxbury Presbyterian Church, RPC, a dynamic congregation with a 130 year history of making a difference in one of Boston's most underserved neighborhoods. In addition to its traditional ministries, RPC is home to the Corey Johnson Trauma Education Project, an innovative program that addresses the epidemic of post-traumatic stress in low income African American communities too often overrun by violence. The Trauma Education Project works to increase community awareness of PTSD, as well as to improve access to mental health services and to empower community members with the skills to cope with and respond to PTSD. Reverend Walker's ministry is the latest achievement in a life journey that includes 11 years of humanitarian work in one of Africa's most troubled countries and 21 years as Boston's first African American television news anchor on WBZ TV. In fact, my wife and I used to watch Liz during our time here, so this is a slightly surreal moment for me (laughs) this evening. In the summer of 2001, Reverend Walker traveled to the Sudan as a reporter to learn about the slave trade there. She was so outraged by what she witnessed that she co-founded the humanitarian organization My Sister's Keeper, which focuses on economic and educational initiatives for Sudanese women and girls. In 2007, my sister's keeper built a girl's school in the village of Akon, Sudan, the first of its kind in that region. On the day that it opened, 1,000 girls enrolled. Despite persistent violent conflicts and political upheaval in the region, the school continues to operate today. Reverend Walker, who shot her own footage in the Sudan, produced a number of television specials, including one that earned the prestigious Edward R. Murrow Award from the New England Radio Television News Directors Association in 2002. She also produced an award-winning documentary called A Glory from the God, which profiles the work of my sister's keeper. Reverend Walker has long been involved in community service. She helped found the Jane Doe S- Safety Fund, a multi-million-dollar statewide anti-violence initiative that works on policy and supports domestic abuse shelters and safe houses around the Commonwealth. She is a member of the core strategy team of the Greater Boston Interfaith Organization and serves on the board for the New England chapter of the United Nation International Children's Emergency Fund. She has also served on the board of trustees for Andover Newton Theological Seminary, the Tufts Health Foundation, and the board of overseers for Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. Reverend Walker has been awarded honorary degrees from numerous institutions, including University of Massachusetts in Dartmouth, Boston College, Simmons College, Salem State University, and Bridgewater State University. She is the mother of three and grandmother of two. Welcome, Liz. Um, I've asked Liz to respond to a theme that I've chosen to frame this year's dialogues, risk, as it relates to HGS students and alumni. Some of us come here in order to take risks on behalf of others. For others of us, coming here is the risk we take. So Liz will share with us some of the thoughts about this theme of risk as it relates to her story and her journey. Liz, I invite you to take the podium now.
1: Thank you very much. I am honored to be with you this evening. Risk is such a good uh, subject. My first sermon as um, an ordained minister was called The Risk of Love. And I must have preached that sermon, what, 150 times? (laughs) 150 places, (laughs) because I only had one sermon. Uh, But risk certainly um, defines my um, time here and the transition of my life from television news to uh, minister. My first day at Harvard Divinity School was September 11, 2001. That was orientation day here. I left the newsroom because I had decided uh, uh, to take a a lesser role in the newsroom to come to uh, Divinity School. And the two towers had not yet fallen. And the the newsroom was this kind of like, I'd never seen it this way. Young reporters who usually had much to say were speechless. And we were listening to Dan Rather on CBS saying that he knew the towers would not fall. And by the time I got here, it was uh, totally a different story. So it was coming out of chaos from um, uh, a newsroom that knew, didn't know anything. Nobody knew what to say, how to handle it, what was happening, and coming over across the river to this place where everyone was finding meaning. It was a moment, and that is how I describe my call to ministry and my life. Risk, all of it was risk. Um, Changing my life from uh, being totally in control and totally uh, in a world, in a secular world, where I had all the grasp and everything, I knew all the answers, uh, coming into ministry, which I called swimming in the deep end of the pool, was certainly uh, risk. So, I guess if I define what the big risk was, it was just not knowing where you were going, stepping out into the into the uh, uh, deep. But it all had to do with being called to a new life, and that's a term I like to explain because that's in my in, in my world. So when people ask me, how did you end up in in ministry when you started out in news, I usually just point to Reverend Dr. Gloria white She God called Gloria, and Gloria called me. And when I say this, I have to say that the drama is just that. I was a television news reporter. I I was married. I had my son and two stepchildren. I was living a life. My marriage was a little shaky, and I was watching television one night, and there was on a 2020 or some such news show. There was Reverend Dr. Gloria White-Hammond and her husband, Reverend Dr. Ray Hammond. And they were two Huxtable-looking people, (laughs) right? This was back in the day when the Huxtables were all right to talk about. (laughs) And they were this like really amazing couple. And the reporter from this national magazine show was talking to them about marriages. Well, since my marriage was kind of not working and my life was kind of in a, I went to their church and uh, my marriage did not work out, but my relationship with the Hammonds was uh, uh, transformational. And in this relationship at this church, um, one Sunday morning, Gloria, a- and I'm, I'm shortening this story, the longer version will be in the book, but one Sunday morning, mm-hmm. after having been counseled by the Hammonds about life and about God and about my marriage and about this kind of feeling of restlessness that I was going through, Um, that other people were saying a midlife crisis and maybe you need to go to a shrink and you're leaving your husband, what are you doing? Uh, The Hammonds said you're being called by God. And I was like, well, I I just, I'd come out of a, a church home. My father was a minister, but I had left church life when I was 17, when I had the opportunity to go to college and I never looked back. And so church life was not what was in my heart, at least I didn't think it was. But Gloria and her husband defined all of this restlessness, this period of being called. And so one Sunday morning during this whole time, Gloria stepped out of the pulpit. She had been preaching or something and walked over to me at the back of the church where I sat because I was not not holy. I went to church. I met these people. They were nice. I I was going to sit in the back and whatever. She came to the back of the church and said, are you ready to accept God's call? And it was like surreal. I said yes. And I say this in a mystic way because that's the only way I can describe it. So starting Divinity School on September 11th, ending up in Sudan, was all a part of this part of my life that I'm still trying to figure out. But it fit and it works. Divinity school was a risk for me in many ways because I hadn't been to school. I was grown. I, was, I think I was 50 years old or 47 or something. I was midlife then. God, that makes me about 89 now, right? <laughs> Lost track. But I was at a different point in my life, and so the idea of going back to school and, and getting disciplined and, and learning uh, about divinity and learning about theology just seemed really beyond anything, but it was the best thing I did. It really was it, was, it was. It was difficult, it was challenging, but Gloria said, and Ray said, it would be a step to take. So I don't want you to think that I'm, like it was like cult-like, that everything they said, I just hovered, and, but, but it, it, it was having people who kind of helped you define everything, and having guides who said, well, here's what you ought to do, and it making sense. And so I took one step. The next step came here. The greatest risk, quite frankly, of coming here was uh, I would come in and I'd study all these wonderful subjects and I couldn't remember where I parked my car. Park. <laughs> so
2: was that
1: whole kind of going back to school at middle life you know, that, that you had to, had to worry about and, and, and being intimidated by the whole idea of Harvard and her, what can I possibly do? But around the same time, because Gloria and Ray were traveling to Sudan. We'd all been invited to South Sudan to investigate allegations of slavery around the same time that all of this was was happening. Um, Someone here suggested, well, perhaps you'd want to study what you're doing. And it just fit. We were traveling to Sudan. We were going twice a year from 2001 on through 2011, so all of these things converged at the same time in my life. I'm going to school, I've stepped down from the anchor desk, I am uh, traveling back and forth on a mission to Sudan with people who do that kind of thing. Clearly, this is something bigger than I know or I would do. And after each step led to the next step and the next step, the Sudan experience I'll tell you one one example of the Sudan experience. Again, mystical, amazing period of my life. I wanted to go because the Hammonds were going and other people were going, and I wanted to do a news story on what was gonna happen. I'm still at Channel 4. I'm not on the main anchor desk, but I'm doing other work. I'm here, and I asked my news director, I said, could you give me a crew? Because these people from Boston are going to Sudan. I think this would be a great story. My news director said, you know, international story local television station, not so sure that's what we want you to cover. But if you want to do something and you bring the video back, that's fine. That was in July, 2001. So we go there. While we're there, I, I end up shooting video of the Hammonds, of the other people uh, talking to people about slavery, just talking about life in this part of the world. Uh, we talked, uh, talked about lots of different things. The idea they were from Boston. The other story that was, that was bubbling up, was the fact that Al-Qaeda was built in Sudan. And that's the story that people were talking about while we were on the ground in Sudan. So I come back to Boston, July 2009. 2001, and I tell my director right I've got a great story. I've got the people from Boston and Sudan, I've got all of this, this, this slavery allegation, I think this Al-Qaeda thing. international story, local, local television station. So we went back and forth, July, August. I'm starting school in September. Finally, Peter says, okay, I'm going to run your story. This is the truth. My story was scheduled to run September 11, 2001. Never ran because the, the world exploded. My little story, which had a piece of it about Osama bin Laden, had a piece of it about certainly not all of it, but a piece of it. But what Peter and I discovered and what we talked about and what we still laugh about now, it's not really funny, but we laugh about the fact that we had de- he had decided that it wasn't something we would be interested in in this country. And now the people that we called them were us and the problems we called theirs were ours. So I haven't figured out all of my life, but I do believe there is a greater something going on in the world and I will argue that with anybody just from my experiences. I am now uh, the pastor of a small church in Roxbury, and we are working on issues of healing uh, in a neighborhood where there is a lot of pain and a lot of rage. And many of the experiences that I've had through the Divinity School of, of reading and listening and talking to other people, and, and just having the, the, the privilege and the, the time to, to think, Uh, we are trying to live out and work out in our neighborhood Uh, and it's been an extraordinary experience. I never thought that anything would be more exciting than television news but that was just preparation for the work that I'm doing now. So the risks were great because the loss was being what I used to be and would I survive in in such a prestigious institution as this and would I really learn something? But what happened, my life was changed and everything. i learned everything. And I also learned not to be afraid and I learned to take on new ideas and new directions. And I learned a little bit more about God. And so that's my story. And I'm pretty much gonna stick to that. (laughs) Have I talked for 15 minutes? Have I talked for enough time that we can do Q&A now? So I don't have a big finish, but I'll sit down and and talk to you.
0: So we'll have uh, a fair bit of time uh, for some Q&A, and I will lead things off. uh, And we'll field some questions from the audience as we go along, and hopefully we'll get uh, somebody using our Twitter handle. The first time I've ever used those words uh, this (laughs) evening. So, Liz, first I want to ask you, um, I'm struck by a few things that you, uh, that seem to kind of come through uh, in your account. Um, So, uh, in in your description of of your experience of this call, right, um, you mentioned that uh, part of what was, part of what uh, felt so risky for you was that you were coming from a place where you were in control, right? You felt like you were in control. Um, and so I, I'm wondering if you could maybe just sort of expand a bit on that um, element of things, uh, the, the experience of feeling the loss of control or risking the loss of control, because um, I think most of us would probably say you seem like you're quite in control, <laughs> right? Um, so maybe you could sort of begin just by kind of unpacking that a little bit more for
1: Thank us. Thank you. Well, certainly uh, control on a very physical level, traveling back and forth to Sudan, was absolutely out of control uh, because you're going to a place that that is a war zone. The war was going on while we were there. And um, I didn't know anything about Sudan, but uh, traveling with courageous people and being inspired by them. So that was the first part of it. And this is happening as I'm coming to school. So all of this just seemed um, like I was taking a gamble to change my life. I on one level knew I was very conscious, very aware, uh, conscious, very aware of what I was doing, but on the other level, it was like, "What is going on here?" Uh, so being compelled by something greater, uh, uh, a feeling that there was something else I could do. there was something more I could do. And every part of the life being it here at this school, being, uh, you know, all of a sudden being uh, in this humanitarian uh, community was that. If you understand the idea of television news, you don't leave television news unless you're fired. (laughs) You don't leave six-figure jobs. Nobody does. It just doesn't happen. So the idea of stepping, few people do, stepping out of that. While it seemed, I was doing it, I was doing it on my own, <laughs> but another part of me was saying, what are you doing? So it's that kind of thing. I suspect this would be a mental illness in some people's <laughs> definition. <laughs> sure. So that, that was <laughs> it, for the, the out of control thing. And television had always been a script. There was always, uh, I knew how long I was gonna talk. You're talking for 30 minutes, you're talking for 30 seconds. Everything is, is kind of predetermined. You know, there's nothing really spontaneous. Reality TV is not reality. You know that, right? right? So there's nothing really spontaneous about television. And, and then living in a now in a very spontaneous kind of world. Right, and
0: unscripted. Unscripted. Moving <laughs> into an unscripted life. Correct. Right. Um, so I'm curious what, what I- in that sort of a situation, it seems to me that when an individual is on the precipice of taking a risk, particularly uh, the kind of risk that is existentially profound like the one that you're describing from your own experience, there's part of the thrill of it and the anxiety of it is that there's not any guarantee of what's on the other side, right? Right. And so um, I'm curious from your own experience what it was that struck you as um, being worth it um, that made leaving the self you knew and being who you were um, and the kind of stability that that has with it and, and in a sense forsaking that, uh, on the possibility that there was something better?
1: I, I think, and I, I think I didn't tell you, I, I grew up, I think I said this, in a, in a religious home. So ministry, my father was a minister uh, of a small church in Little Rock, Arkansas. So I definitely had exposure to this life. Uh, and the idea of, of, of taking this new step in some ways was uh, kind of fulfilling some legacy, I think, of my father's. Nothing I had thought about or planned, but that made it kind of exciting. And it's not like you take the big steps; you take little steps in a way. You know, you 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 start the school process. Okay, uh, Gloria said. Well, and Ray said you're probably going to you know be ordained in the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Well. I don't know about that, but she said, well, well, the first thing you need to do is just think about school, because anywhere you go, anything you do, you're gonna need some kind of seminary probably. So that was one step, you know. And uh, Harvard, who wouldn't, well, in my life, uh, the idea of going to Harvard or having Harvard a part of it, that's certainly an appeal. Would they let me in? Well, let's just try and see. If they're dumb enough to let me in, I'm dumb (laughs) enough to step in. No disrespect. That's a step. So you just see, and I I suppose that in some ways I've always been that way uh, and not afraid to take those first steps, but not realizing the magnitude of what you're taking and seeing the big picture. So I think that's what the appeal was, that there were always these next steps that you could take and see what would happen with that.
0: Right. Okay. Um, So I think, why don't we go ahead and open it up to the floor a little bit? I would like to have... Uh, folks participate as much as possible, and I have a few more questions if need be. And please wait to ask your question until the microphone reaches you, because um, we do have a microphone coming through. Yeah. Who are we sure, first? oh, yes, yeah,
1: sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Liz. Thank you very much. Nice to see you. Good to see you. Um, <clears throat> I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about the work you're doing now. Um, what are you doing in your pastoral work? What are you doing with your church? And tell us a little bit about the body of the church. Um, Excuse me, like maybe how many members, and also where can the Harvard Divinity community help and support you in the work that you're doing? Oh, thank you very much. Roxbury Presbyterian Church, as I said, is on Warren Street in Roxbury. It's on a strip, a very interesting strip in, in in a wonderful community but a strip that uh, sees more than its share of street violence, uh, prostitution, drug abuse, not trying to define the whole community, I'm just saying this strip. I've done some investigation and there are many, um, uh, uh, there are sober houses in the neighborhood, there are re-entry programs in the neighborhood, so there's a lot of things going on in the neighborhood that make this a, a very tricky, piece of real estate. And so what we're trying to do there, and what they've always done on this street, which I call the Jericho Road, we've always tried to to deal with our reality. That's the reality on the street. And uh, so we have a recovery program there that we've started. We have uh, a mother's support group uh, for victims of violence, and we put this all around under the umbrella, excuse me, of trauma. Uh, it's a neighborhood that has seen more than its share of gang violence, more than its share of street violence, and so there have been lots of deaths. Uh, this summer has actually been relatively quiet on the Strip compared to other summers, but we um, are trying to help heal a neighborhood. You can't stop every two people, probably everybody, but at least every two or three people, and somebody will have a story to tell about trauma mainly from violence. Um, And so we've decided to just open our doors and invite people in on one night a week to talk about their pain. There's nothing else. It's sort of like AA. Uh, There's no uh, requirements. We give you a meal. There is no religious requirement. You can be anybody but come in. We haven't done a great job of advertising. We're doing it just kind of word of mouth. And it's extraordinary the people who, sh- who show up. So we've been doing this for a year. We are working now with the city and the Public Health Commission. We're working now with Brigham and Women's Hospital. We are working with some uh, people from, uh, who do uh, mental health work in the community. And we're trying to make this kind of a soft entry. So that's the thing I'm most excited about because I think there's an urgent need for that in not just urban areas but everywhere. I don't think we're doing enough for mental health And churches, there's a stigma about mental health, and certainly in African American churches, it's you know, you can pray everything away. Well, you know, some things you can't pray away. God wants you to to get some help, and so that's what we're doing. And I think that has the most, um, that, that has the biggest possibility. When we were in Sudan, we interviewed, Gloria and I interviewed many, 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 many women who had been gang raped and who had just seen just incredible things. But their affect, their, their, they had this like thing like nothing had happened. Because they, they had no choice, they had to keep going. And I wondered about how they dealt with trauma. And now I, in my neighborhood, I see the same thing. I see people who have dealt with a lot of pain. And what happens to this, at least my theory is, this is what can break into rage. This is what can break into all kinds of social problems that we have. So we're trying to do that, and I'm very, I believe that's what God has led us to do. Uh, We're doing some things in education, we're doing some other things, but it's the trauma work that I think is our core. And we're just beginning to understand what that means. Did I go on too long? Sometimes I get really excited, I just keep on talking. This is your night. And then you do a sermon, and then (laughs) take up a collection. But that's what we're trying to do.
0: We have uh, one here, and then uh, couple on this side. Thank you for coming. My name is Christopher Hansen. I'm MDiv, class of 2010. As Joshua pointed out in the beginning, uh, risk was a common factor, common theme in many people that came to Divinity School. Was it at all some sort of like rallying cry for community during your first year where you sought out other individuals or you came upon other individuals that also had taken this risk and you you know, bonded over it or you formed community over this idea of risk of coming here?
1: Unfortunately, I think my situation was such that I took classes here and I was running. And if I had to do this again, I wouldn't do it that way. So I didn't have the community People offered it to me, but I didn't, I had to get back over the, around the corner there at WBZ, or we were going to Sudan. It was just a really whirlwind time. But the people who, who did catch up with me fast, you know, uh, uh, helped me see that I needed community. But uh, I, I had a mission, and it was to, you know, get into Harvard, and then it was to get out of Harvard. <laughs> so it was, and I don't mean that in any disrespectful way. I mean, just, I, I just was trying to do all the things I needed to do because my uh, my desire then was to get this uh, degree, so I think that that was a mistake on my part to rush through this program, uh, and I didn't form the communities that I could have formed, uh, but since then, I have learned that lesson, and I know that communities are very important, and certainly there were there were people that you know in my classes that helped me and and so I think if I took the time to look back, I, there was a community around me. I may not have appreciated it as much then as I do now.
0: It's interesting that you say that because one of the things that stuck out to me in your remarks uh, earlier, um, you described your relationship with Gloria and Ray as transformational, which is not a small word. They um, were my so community. They it, are still. right. So there is this this um, oh yes central to this your experience of letting go of the one and reaching for the other in this process of risk-taking was this relationship that was really...
1: They anxious. were my every, and still are to some extent, except we don't see each other very often, but Ray and Gloria were very much my community, and in trying to follow them, it, it was pretty wild. It was like, to the extent that sometimes when Gloria would say something, i say, Gloria, is this you talking or is this Jesus talking? Because I just need to make sure, but I just, uh, because when you meet those kind of people who... Who, be, you know, who kind of can guide you and lead you in such a, uh, a, a powerful way, you do hold on to them. So yes, that was my community. And their church, my church, was a community. So yeah. I wasn't here so much searching for a community, uh, even though people were very wonderful in offering that here. I was here on a mission.
0: Right. It's a, part of what struck me about that is I think we tend to, I think it's commonly uh, in people's, Thinking about risk, that it's an individual endeavor, and that it's, uh, but there really is a kind of, you know, the, that support,
1: oftentimes oh, yeah. is
0: crucial to the whole. Crucial experience. to it. I, I
1: don't think I would have been able to do because they helped me define so many things that I that I needed to find right. to define right. at that point.
0: Um, yes. Yeah.
3: Good afternoon, Liz. <clears throat> Excuse me. My name is Jermaine Lawrence. I'm a first year here at HDS, and I didn't work in news yet. I did work in the film and television production industry prior to coming to HDS, so I know what it means to walk away from your comfort zone and try something completely out out of the box. And I'm curious to know, uh, I know that you have started your own production company now that's geared towards human rights issues, how you've been able to integrate your past life into your current profession as a minister, and most importantly, how some of your congregants or people within the ministry have perceived you with you having what some would consider to be a non-traditional background in ministry, and coming from, and, re- and digressing over to the ministry now.
1: Thank you. The, great questions. Um, the idea of making that transition to ministry from television was difficult for me because I, I always saw myself as a television news reporter, and you, you know, you you can command attention, and humility is not a part of it, and so humility. <laughs> Is, and that's why I believe God has me where I am now in this neighborhood and in this church where I have about 125 people in my congregation. It's learning humility, which is not, uh, it, not a big deal in America, and it should be. We should have more humility, I think, uh, uh, from all of our leaders. Uh, so that's one part of it. Uh, that was difficult for me. People were, they were just excited. They loved the idea. They weren't at all judgmental or anything like that in the Presbyterian church where I am now. I think the African Methodist Episcopal bishops, and I think they were wondering if I was a little, I don't know, I, sometimes you wonder, because people, you know, they, you're, you might be something big out there, but you're nothing here kind of feeling. I, you know, I, I kind of felt that could have been me, I don't know. Um, what was your other, the other question I liked too, but I forgot what it was, the first one. Oh, that part, well, see, I started doing a documentary in Sudan Uh, Because of this video that I got the first time and then I it it just kind of grew and that was how this uh, company started was out of the story that we were trying to tell in Sudan so Now we do a lot of um, we don't do as much video at the church now, but we do some video now and we're trying to do uh, Integrate that but it's it's the the biggest part of this was in um, the work in Sudan Uh, Glory from the God was a story about uh, My Sister's Keeper and how we started it, and then we'd bring this video back and we'd put that together, and that was really exciting. So it's telling the story of what you're doing, I think, is how you make that work for you as a a documentary producer because we need to tell the story about, like the struggles on my street. I would love to tell the stories about the young men that we, we minister to on the street who you know? Who you see, or I saw as the you know the pull-down pants and the hoodies, and they're tough and they won't listen. But are you know? It's far more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to tell those stories, and may, and maybe that's what I'll do. But right now, ministry is so demanding; it's 24/7 that I don't get to do much videotaping or anything like that.
0: We had a couple of hands over here. I think in the the blue sweater. And
3: Okay, thank you. My name is Holly, uh-huh. i a visiting scholar. Basically, I'm from a, a Communication University of China. And um, um, actually, part of my uh, question that o- m- might be overlapped with the previous one. So I, th- I like the way that you tell the story, starting your lecture, make it very communicative, communicative and uh, so it's a kind of power to, to build kind of uh, intimacy with your audience. So that I'm sure that you must be very very successful anchor because uh, as a media uh, to inform, entertain and educate people on the other side. But back to the serious part as a call from God, God. So I would like to hear your experience of uh, feeling kind of loneliness or solitude because uh, uh, as you said, you are called by God. So, you were saying that it must be a kind of a, a um, that's worse, um, kind of a very holy kind of a feeling. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, if a person stay um, start from a higher position and stay longer in a high position, so you feel you will feel in in inner kind of a loneliness. So I, wi- I would like to share, I mean you shared such story with us.
1: So moving from the high position to the student, maybe the, the loneliness of the transition? Or the, you were, the loneliness, I, I'm sorry. The I loneliness. mean
3: loneliness to be a very special person. Oh, yeah.
1: I don't know if I ever felt lonely in the I'm sense sure. of, uh, of my work as a television news anchor. And I don't know if I feel very lonely now, if that's what you're saying, but I, sus- I suspect that some of the loneliness was in deciding to go away that was against the grain of the people that I knew, except for Ray and Gloria. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you uh-huh. know what I mean? Uh-huh. Leaving the comfort zone of what you know and doing something with no real map,
0: that uh-huh. was lonely.
1: That w- there was loneliness in that. Okay. And uh, so, yes, I, I, does that answer your question a bit? I'm sure I'm not being yes. What maybe you want. I'm
3: not quite explicitly. I make make myself understood. I mean, um, I I mean, in my interpretation, uh-huh. if uh, you're, you're called by God, mm-hmm. it must be something very special. I mean, some people very special, and uh, so, uh, like everybody is enjoying uh, is very joyous joyous, enjoying mm-hmm. everything. Why you keep a kind of very serene kind of spirit inside and keep very calm and uh, yeah, so that is the loneliness and solitude. And some people, we say the beauty of being lonely, alone, so I would say that is a kind of a power within that make you stay very firm when you have difficulties and challenging all these risks. That's that's what I mean, I'm sorry. beautiful.
1: I have always felt, when I began to allow myself to feel, that I wasn't alone. Okay. That I could connect directly with God. Now I'm gonna say something that might sound a little crazy okay. here. But that I could pray and I could feel whatever I felt, but there was a channel for that. So that wasn't lonely. Now telling people about it might be feeling a little lonely. Okay. but do you do you see the difference? Yes so it, I, I go to answer actually yeah. you
3: were saying that the God gave your power. Yeah. So make you feel very yeah. Absolutely. Full of strengths.
1: The, the strength, even though
3: sometimes you, okay,
1: right. <laughs> whatever, no, no, no. I'll I save, my t- save your profound. time, I'm sorry right. for that. Right. Yeah, right. because
3: I'm from China, my English is limited. No, 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 so, I
1: understand you very, uh, I, just, I don't know if I've ever felt uh, uh, totally alone since mm-hmm. I began this journey, because mm-hmm. I can always get on my knees and pray, mm-hmm. and prayer to me is absolute communication. Yeah. conversation in oh. the car mm-hmm. uh on my knees in the in my neighborhood, I pray every day I walk out of that church, and I mean that in a very sincere way because I have no control over this. Uh, I don't know what's going on, I don't know where the next whatever is coming from, so uh the whole experience of the call has humbled me to know that I can communicate with something greater
3: yeah. It's very crucial I'm, i mean important to have this uh, communication skills it's to powerful. be a good
1: Because if you were doing yeah. this without communications what you would be nuts this yeah. would be <laughs> Yeah this would
3: be yeah. mad so I you are I'm very competent sure. for that Thank you
1: Thank you
0: uh, Can could we go here and then I think we'll try to get one
1: more Hi Reverend Walker Hi. thank you for being here Thank you I had the pleasure of seeing you last year when you came
0: to our Intro to Ministry Studies class I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you understand risk-taking in ministry, whether that's starting a new program
1: or preaching that sermon that you know might not be very well accepted. Uh, Risk-taking is the grounding of faith. You know, faith is the step in the dark. You don't know. That's... That's what faith is. That's what we, you know, it's the unseen. It's, it's believing in what you don't see. And so I suspect that, or I believe that that's what risk taking is all about. Uh, I get into the, you know, I step into the pulpit every day, every Sunday, and I, I just pray that this is what God has said to me and not just what I thought or what I was, my ego, you know. And then when I finish my sermon, I'm so worried that they didn't get it mm-hmm. or I said something stupid. I have yet, I'll I'll be so glad when I get to the point that that won't be a problem. But that is a huge problem for me. Uh, So there's always this um, uh, not knowing for me. There's always this uncertainty about my part. But the God part is when somebody comes and they get something you didn't even put in the sermon. And they said, oh my God, you just just stepped right into my life and you think, whoa, lady, if you knew that I had no idea what I was saying, (laughs) that's when you know it's something else. And that affirmation happens to me enough to make me sure. So the risk is every time I do something. Uh, uh, you know, I was trying to think if I could prepare for this or write a, a speech out and I just decided, you know, I just am gonna tell my story. And if it's not long enough, I'm really sorry. I'll <laughs> sit down. And, you take over, God. And so, the, so risk is, uh, is, is, I guess the more risk you take, uh, uh, it becomes slightly easier to take more risk. But it doesn't mean it's not uh, scary. It's still a risk. Right? And it's still a risk and you're still afraid. But so far, every affirmation. For a woman to, and again, this I still haven't figured this out. What do you do when, when you feel strongly that you can go to somebody else and say you've been called by God? Who does that?
0: <laughs> Gloria White-Hammond.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I haven't got, I don't even know what that's about. So trying to figure those kinds of things out and how people get confidence in that area is, uh, is where I'm still trying to go.
0: I think we have time for one final question.
2: Hello Liz, my name is Judy Beals. I'm a resident fellow here and I know you from your tremendous work at the Jane Doe Safety Fund where you were such a powerful voice on issues of violence against women. And my question actually goes to your, um, to your uh, community ministry and your local ministry, and 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 what it means to be someone like you who has the capacity and the access to also be a very powerful voice on the underlying issues that give rise to all that trauma in your neighborhood, and also to be a voice in terms of the bigger interfaith issues that are so important in this city, and so. How you how you balance those, I mean I've been a little surprised that you aren't a bigger public figure, and I think that must be a choice that you've made or I don't I don't know what that's about, but I just wonder if you could explain that to me. How you balance your your particular capacity to be a really big voice in the city of Boston on these issues and your commitment to the hundred and fifty people that you are. Sometimes
1: um, okay. I drive into my neighborhood. I live in Jamaica Plain I, and I work in Roxbury and I, and I wonder why it's this way. And you would, I, you know, I almost, because I'm always talking to God these days, I'm like, God, you know, you would think you could use me for something a little bit different here. <laughs> uh, because sometimes I think my voice should be used in a bigger way. Yeah. This is where I am. And I'm gonna try to do what I can where I am. This may not be where I am next year, I don't know. But that's kind of my philosophy now. Uh, because I do question that, you know. But uh, this is where I am now. And I believe I was put here for a reason. One night I was going out to my car. And, uh, I got, you know, I don't want to paint this picture of a horror on, on Warren Street, but there's some pretty interesting stuff that goes on there at night. <laughs> and you have to be careful at night. And so I'm going to my car, and this kid comes up to me. And he's got the hood on, and he's looking really tough. And I think, this is it. This is the night I'm going to just get shot or or stab, and so I bristled because it was a little ways to my car and this kid comes up and he says, will you pray for me? And I just, it was just one of those moments where it's like, okay, this is why I'm here. He knows, you know, so it's just the little things that, that keep you there. Uh, that's all I can answer. I wish I had a bigger thing to say, but <laughs> this is where I am and this is where I will serve God until he tells me to go someplace else.
0: Well, thank you, Liz. Thank Thank you you for being with us this evening.